0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20 with Pastor John King. Well today, folks, we're going to conclude the Gospel of Mark. One year after starting, we are going to conclude the Gospel of Mark. What a journey it's been. Uh, If you will, turn in your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. This is known uh, by uh, scholars and theologians as the longer ending to Mark. So you may have a Bible that doesn't necessarily have this or have it in parentheses. But we're going to cover it as the Word of God and the Word of Truth. Um, Now while you're turning there, just a reminder from last week. You know, when the ladies came to the tomb. Several ladies had come to Jesus' tomb at daybreak on what we would call Easter Sunday. But unlike you and I, they hadn't come to celebrate the heart of the gospel, which is the resurrection, but they fully expected to finish the process of anointing his dead body. They were in a state of gloom and doom. They were mourning their loss. But God is faithful. He had already told them that he would arise from death on the third day, and so when they arrived at the tomb, they were greeted by an open tomb. A heavenly messenger with a heavenly message. And you'll see there in your Bibles if you look back, the messenger, the angel said, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said he would. Now today, we're going to see how this incredible news of Jesus' resurrection is received. Once again, the Lord has kept his promises. And the word of God is, given, is proven to be true. But now the Lord must do a work in the hearts and the minds of his followers. They need to be encouraged. They need to be convinced, even if it takes a form of discipline. And they need to be empowered for service. Both then and here now two thousand years later. So let's read our passage Mark sixteen nine. It says Now when he arose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe verse 12 after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country and they did and, excuse me and they went and told it to the rest but they did not believe them either later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen and he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached, God, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word once again. You've put us in a place where we will hear your word taught or preached, if you will. Lord, give us Give me the, the power of your Holy Spirit to do so. I don't want to express my own opinions. I don't want to express my own um, biases. We just want to give your word and, and see what it does, see how it continues to transform our lives. And we thank you for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and the written word in our lives. And once again, Lord, may it make a difference in our walk with you. When we leave here today, may we be changed and and may we have a new and a fresh desire to go and tell, to deliver the great commission to all creatures, to everyone that comes in contact with us. May it be your will be done for that, Lord. And let us be willing vessels to be used by you for your glory. So go before us now as we open up your word. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said... Amen. Well, Jesus' initial appearances weren't what you thought they would be in the sense that how the news was received because the news was received with unbelief hearing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Verse 9 says, When he rose early on the first day of the week this is Jesus having risen from the grave And we note that even on his resurrection day, our Lord wasn't going to sleep in. And he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. This Mary is mentioned 11 times in the Gospels. Twice it is revealed that Jesus had healed her by casting out seven demons. Her deliverance must have been so profound that she would do anything to serve her master. <laughs> Jesus' reward to her was having the honor of seeing his resurrected body first. Aside from the angels, she was the first one. Even though she initially thought he was just a you know, helping hand, he was the gardener. <laughs> he was the gardener in the cemetery, if you will. That story is told in John verses, uh, chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. When she came to the tomb, and, and she, of course, had been weeping, and she had wondered what was going on, and, and she all of a sudden turned around, and you see it, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there right, be, right before her eyes. And she didn't know it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she heard his voice, and she recognized his voice. You know, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and they know who I am. And she turned to him, and she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, she's like, yes, it's you, Jesus. And, of course, the passage goes on, and it has Jesus quickly telling her not to cling to him. Not not because it would defile him, but don't cling to him because he had work for her to do, and he had work that the Father had for him. And he had still a lot of important instructions to give his disciples. And so in this little interaction, we see Mary Magdalene, and we notice uh, what uh, Matthew Henry would say, that old uh, Puritan theologian. He would say this, the closer we cleave to Christ, the closer we cling to him, we would say press into Christ, the sooner we may expect to see him and the more to see of him. The more to see of him. So when she do, in verse 10, she went and told those who had been with him. She had this news to share. and She went immediately to tell them, As they mourned and wept. See, she was the first to see Jesus Jesus is resurrected, and she would also be the first to tell others of this incredible good news, this Mary Magdalene. But notice it was as they mourned and wept. A little while earlier in the morning, Mary herself also cried over Jesus' death. John 20, the same chapter we were just talking about, verses 11 through 13, it says that Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And there she saw the two angels. They were sitting, uh, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And then she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. So everybody that was close to Jesus all of the apostles, all of the women, naturally, after seeing and knowing of his tragic death in their eyes, were weeping. And Jesus, back in John 16, earlier in his ministry, John 16, 20, he told them they, they would mourn his death. Not only did he tell them that, they would, you know, that he would be crucified, that he would be tortured, that he would die on the cross, and of course always by, he always followed that with resurrection, but he told them he would, they would mourn his death. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. In verse 11, it says, and then after Mary Magdalene had gone and says, when they heard, they hadn't seen him yet, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, now, I need to explain something if you want to follow the chronology. A lot of things were happening, and if you look at all four of the gospel accounts, we need to understand that Mary specifically, when she first came to the tomb, she saw all she saw was that it was empty. And the first thing she did was she ran and told Peter and John, and they all ran back to the tomb. The other disciples probably... Um, when, they, when they heard Mary, now, now we'll come back to the present, okay, sorry. We come back to the present when she had now gone to tell those, she'd already seen the risen Lord, and they didn't believe her, but those disciples had probably heard Peter and John talking about it. They probably overheard Mary's eyewitness account of the good news. This, this was a big deal, and they were always together. So she ran, and she told them individually, and there they were, and most likely they had heard what was going on. Yet they refuse to believe it. We're talking about those who, you know, have a, basically developed a hard heart. It says they do not, did not believe. And you, know, and you ask yourself the question, why? Knowing what we know in God's word, why is it that we sometimes are so stubborn to believe God's word and to believe his truth and believe his promises? Well, because it's part of our fallen nature, You and I can be weeping and mourning one moment and then be hard-hearted the next. We know how complex we tend to be, right? Jeremiah puts it very simple. Jeremiah 17.9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can figure out our minds? (laughs) If left to ourselves, you and I can surely overcome now in verse twelve it says, after that Jesus he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that they're referring Mark is referring to the walk of Emmaus. this is the walk of Emmaus, and he says uh, that he appeared in another form, the particular way Jesus had manifested himself to them. You know, it was likely he was wearing some traveling clothes. He may have seemed sort of incognito, if you will. But this, of course, like we said, was a reference to Jesus' appearance to the two disciples walking on a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which we find in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now, when you read that passage, we won't go to that today fully, But it says, the text says that at first their eyes were restrained. Their eyes were restrained during their interaction with Jesus. So not only was he maybe incognito, but they couldn't see him anyway because their eyes were restrained by the Holy Spirit. During their interaction with Jesus, as he first listened to their story of having been informed and and then of a certain woman in our company they were referring to Mary Magdalene. You know, She was the one that was going around and telling everybody about the risen Christ. And so the word was spreading rapidly among the disciples. So again, word got out that Mary Magdalene, having reported the empty tomb to Peter and John, and then Peter and John, of course, as we said, went to verify the empty tomb, They saw the empty tomb. They saw his clothing had been folded up and was placed in a nice, neat little pile. But Peter and John had yet to see Jesus. So these two men that are walking on, this is being referenced, the two men that are walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is speaking to them and he discovers that they are disappointed because they thought he had come to redeem Israel during their time on earth. It was going to happen then and now. He's going to come. He's going to destroy the Romans. He's going to set the religious hypocrites on their ear. And he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Just like the scriptures, their scriptures told them. But his time was not yet. He would die on the cross. He would be resurrected. He has not come yet. He will come a second time. And notice when Jesus is talking to them, how he responds to them. You see in in Luke 24, 25 through 27 up on the screen. Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. What he's saying is, is you, are, you are being ignorant. You are being stubborn. You are slow to believe your own Bible. You're slow to believe the scriptures. And then he says, Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? This has all been spoken of in the Old Testament. And so he he goes and he does a review. He says, let's do a quick review. We got a long walk. (laughs) Let's do a quick review. Uh, I will review with you Jesus from memory. He would review to them, beginning at Moses and with all the prophets. He expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. He says, I'm going to teach you guys. And so when they all three arrived at Emmaus, they invited Jesus to a meal. You know, they must have been hungry and a little bit tired. And as the story goes, once he took the bread, once they were sitting at the table and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it, their eyes were no longer restrained. Their eyes were open. And then what happened? He vanished. He vanished from their sight. And so back to our passage today in verse 13, these two men, they went and told it to the rest what they had just experienced on the walk from Emmaus to Emmaus. But, they did not believe them either. So now you've got three eyewitness accounts. They they shared their incredible experience with Jesus. But, apparently, they were blind to the eyewitness testimony of Mary Magdalene and these two disciples. Again, we ask the question, why? Why? Stubbornness, an evil heart of unbelief, Hebrews 3.12 says. You know, when we become stubborn and we refuse to believe the Lord's promises, our heart becomes evil. It's an evil heart of unbelief, the the way the writer puts it. Now think about your own reaction to incredulous news, an unexpected outcome. In their case, even though they were told about the resurrection things just didn't seem right, did they? And there was a mindset that had taken a hold of them. And I would suggest to you folks today that we've seen many instances, instances of that, sort of this mindset. When things were unexpected, the outcome was unexpected, like a recent presidential election, for instance. Now, look, I, I have to be very careful, don't I? But we can become very stubborn in our minds. And I'm not going to try and tell you what I know, what's true. I'm not here to tell you in that sense about that. But it is a good example, I think, a modern example of how we can take things into our mind and we can start to go down a path of what we believe to be true and we only look for the things that support our belief And we have to be very careful with that. But you know there's good news in this kind of thing when it comes back to the Bible. Because the fact that their unbelief is recorded is a benefit for us. It's going to help you and I witness why is that. Why is it going to help you and I be able to tell people that the Bible is true? Well, here's the argument. The fact that their unbelief is recorded for all to see actually strengthens the truth of the resurrection. Why? Because a fabricated story, if this was not true, if this was all a big fabricated lie, they would have painted these men as being super saints with great belief. They would have portrayed them as heroes of the faith, but the very fact that we see them failing again and again to believe the truth is clear evidence. No fabricated story would ever paint the main characters in such bad light. No way. Not after time after time. Now the resurrection did indeed happen, and the disciples, though they were weak in faith, the truth, exactly what was happening and what they were going through, is being told simply and clearly by honest and moral eyewitnesses, being guided by the Holy Spirit. So later, in verse 14, later, Jesus, he basically, I want to say he probably had enough of this unbelief that was going on. And so by verse 14, because Mark is very brief and to the point, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And you say, who are the 11? I thought it was the 12. Well, remember, Judas was one of the 12, and now it's the 11. But who are the 11? Well, in context, whenever you say the, the 11 or the 12, really referring to, the the writer is referring to the apostles. These are the apostles. They have all gathered and they're sitting together. And actually, there were only 10 of them because Thomas wasn't there. He would be the last holdout in unbelief, as you know, until eight days later when Jesus would meet again, they would be gathered together again, and he would offer Thomas the opportunity to place his finger and his hand into Jesus' wounds. And just by having him offer to do that, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. So later, uh, he appeared later that same day, that Sunday evening, he appeared right before their eyes. There was no denying it. Now you couldn't deny it anymore. And if you were again to look at John 20 or Luke 24, you'd you'd find the following things. We're not going to put that scripture up. You would find that one, that Jesus stood in the midst of them. He was able to come to the wall when the doors were shut. We know on Emmaus he was able to disappear from their sight and vanish. We would also learn that he greeted them with a peace, you know, like a kind of a shalom, peace be with you. They were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Remember the time when they were out on the Sea of Galilee in the great storm, and again he was walking on the water and they thought he was a ghost. Same thing is happening here. But he showed them their his wounds. He ate food in their presence. And look what he did in John 20, verses 21 through 23. He equipped them for service. That's what Jesus wants to do. He's, he wants to be real in your life. He wants to be present in your life. He wants to prove that, you're, that he's real. And by faith, he wants you to, to equip you for service. John 20, 21 through 23, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So he equipped them for for service. Now back to our text for today. Notice, Because of Mark being so brief that he tends to be, he appeared before them, and what did he do? Not only did he do all those things we just described, but he also rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. He reproached them. You know, sometimes the Lord has to discipline us. Unbelief. This is a withholding of belief in his divine power. This is why blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. When a person decides they won't accept Jesus for anything, not whatsoever, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And if they die in their sins, they will not be redeemed. So it's a serious matter. Also, unbelief and hardness of heart, they go together. This scleroscardia. Think of hardening of the arteries. None of us have that, I hope, I pray. Some of us may. As we, anyway. Proverbs 28, 14. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Why? Why did he rebuke them? Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus was angry with them. Because they wouldn't believe their brothers and sisters who told them that he had risen from the dead. And he was going to make certain that they understood completely that the witness of his resurrection was both could be trusted and must be trusted. It could be trusted and indeed it must be trusted. You see, they had witnesses Jesus' power... God's power throughout his entire ministry. They'd seen his power over nature and disease. They'd seen his power over death. They'd seen that he could raise Jairus' daughter. He raised Lazarus from the dead. They had witnessed his life. They'd seen his purity, his holiness, and his sinlessness. Why such a big deal? Well, because these were the men who would be the first members of the church... Several of them would be the ones to write the gospel letters and would become part of our modern-day Bibles. So it was foundational to the Christian faith that they get this right. And you know it echoes unto this day, doesn't it? If you look at Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, talk about the foundation that was laid because they chose to believe. It says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We say it often, it's a wonderful picture if you will, of a church, a local church that gets together and each of you are building blocks in the building if you will in this heavenly place on earth. So here's some thoughts maybe that you might have. First we see a picture of how our relationship is with Jesus. Again, he stands in our midst offering redemption. Having paid the price for our sins on the cross, having defeated death through his resurrection, he brings us his peace. We see his wounds. He fellowships with us. He equips us for good works by his word and through the Holy Spirit. And when we rebel and harden our hearts in unbelief, he chastens us. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, very simply, and in a lot of cases it happens all the time, is that one of the causes of their unbelief and hardness of heart is that they misinterpreted the scriptures. They misinterpreted Jesus' words. They refused to see the Messiah as a suffering savior, Savior and choosing instead to think in terms of a conquering king. Remember we said once they get your mind set on something, you know, you, 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 you create those pathways in your mind, whatever they are, it's hard to change. Even though they know that he died as a criminal, he was crucified, but they refuse to see him as a suffering savior. They also refuse to see the kingdom of God as a spiritual kingdom. They were choosing instead to think here on this earthly realm, the physical kingdom, a kingdom on earth. And they also refuse to see the death and resurrection of Jesus as a literal fact, choosing instead to think of it in symbolic terms. But because the Lord is patient, he brings us back to his word. You know, we may be walking in in confusion, we may be walking in in a dark place in our walk with the Lord, or a dry place, if you will. And because he loves us and because he is patient, he brings us back to his word. Luke 24, 44, and 45. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And that's what the Lord wants to do for each of us every time we come to His Word. And when we open, we ask the Lord to open our understanding. You know, we don't come flippantly to His Word. We have to be careful of that. We want to come reverently. Remember the wisdom wisdom of Proverbs. We want to come reverently before the Lord. And we want to ask Him to open up our minds and to fill us with the Holy Spirit and understanding. Next we come to the Great Commission. The Great Commission. He says to them, after he's been gentle with them and he's rebuked them and he's corrected them and he's reminded them, he said to them, now simply go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This this is the most uh, straightforward way of saying it. Now, a little detail, before he sent them, he actually, Luke 24, again, we have to look at the harmony of the Gospels, Luke 24:49. he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, that's the Holy Spirit, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. So the Great Commission actually comes after this event, but Mark cuts to the chase and it says, Go to all the world. All the world. This is the work that continues to this very day. Whether you're a street preacher, whether you're an evangelist, uh, whether you're a missionary overseas, whether you're a co-worker, a parent, a father, whether you're a, a leader in the church. The gospel is to go into all the world. And do what? Preach. Now that's that word caruso. It means to herald the truth. Not your own words. You're like a king sitting outside the king's castle as the herald, and you better not say what the king doesn't want you to say. You better say exactly what the king wants you to say. You're a herald of his truth. You are to preach what? The gospel. Ewan Gileon is the Greek word, evangelism. This is the glad tidings of salvation through Christ. To who? Every creature. Or all nations. Notice that there is no limit. He says, all the world, every creature, all the nations. There's no but, 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 but exceptions. All the world. And the result, verse 16 he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Believe becomes a Christian by placing their faith in Jesus and is baptized. Following their faith, following their salvation, with obedience through water baptism. Some would take that and say, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Trying to say that baptism is the essential ingredient of your salvation. It is essential, though, I would say, I would argue, it is essential obedience to your salvation. Now, i got to say it. We live in an area where there's a major university that teaches a doctrine that goes against what I just said. They they believe that believes and is baptized. I don't want to say major university, a college. Who believes that baptism is regenerative. In other words, until you're baptized, you're not truly saved. So just be aware that you live in an area, and there are many churches around here that teach that, and you guys need to be aware of that because you never know who you're going to run into. But the Bible doesn't say that baptism uh, is a a condition of our salvation. It says it follows our belief. And it says you will be saved. If you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. In this sense, it means you're safe and sound in the arms. You're preserved for a heavenly eternity with God. 2 Timothy 4.18 And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, Paul's expressing that saved, that sozo, that saved, preserved for a heavenly eternity with God, knowing that God has you presently. He has you in in his arms, and he's not going to let go. So as we said, at first glance, it seems to suggest that in order to be saved, a person must be baptized but keep in mind what the emphasis of this passage is on. It's on believing. And believing was the thing that Jesus was getting on their case about. Believing was the issue. He goes on, he says, the result of hearing the gospel, and the average person in America hears the gospel about seven times before they surrendered their life to the Lord, supposedly. Supposedly. Most people who hear the gospel before the age of 15 or 16, the highest percentage who hear it, they're the ones who come to know the Lord. As the older a person gets, the less likely a person is to become a Christian. But he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, one of the most important parts of speech in all the Bible is that word uh, but. It's known as a primary particle. In this case, it provides a distinction between two extremes. Heaven and hell. What happens to those who will be condemned? They'll be judged by God to be worthy of punishment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven had fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, was cast into the lake of fire, basically what he's saying. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is condemnation. This is for those who have heard the gospel message, who have chosen, or whether they just, you know, there's basically no excuse, no matter where you are. you, You say, what about the man on the island? Nobody's there. Well, creation declares God's reality. So nobody will have an excuse and in verse 17, he says, he's given you the result of the gospel, whether you're going to be saved or you'll be condemned. And then he says for, for the apostles, he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Now these miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove that the cause they are pleading is God's it's how god sometimes proves that what we say and what we pray about he validates it through things that happen we we know somebody who's coming home from the hospital today praise god you guys have heard about Roger Hill he's he's most likely coming back from the hospital today he was on the very edge of being in a in a very situation very tough situation with covid pneumonia and we've prayed many times here and i want to encourage you guys we, our prayer service starts at 9:30 We say, you know, service starts at 10, but really service starts at 9.30 if you would like. Because we have a prayer service. And that would be a wonderful opportunity just to come out and to be, you know, a part of uh, bringing your prayers and concerns to be spoken. And he says, in my name they will cast out demons. This is spiritual power to break demonic strongholds. He says they will speak in new tongues. These are spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. They will take up servant, serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now we know that on the island of Malta on Paul's last journey to Rome in Acts 28, 3 through 6, we saw that Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks after they'd been shipwrecked. And then it says uh, in the text that a viper came out because of the heat. They were... They were creating a bonfire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and then they, said, then they said he was a god, which he didn't want them to do. He says if they drink anything deadly, that means to be poisoned purposely or by accident. It will by no means hurt them. Now look, even though we have no scriptural record of all of these things that occurred, there is no doubt that God has and does perform untold numbers of wonders and miracles. They get misrepresented. They get, you know, there are scams. There's, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. Now, just a word of caution about snake handling. Uh, I like what Warren Rearsby said. The person who takes up snakes to prove his or her faith is yielding to the temptation that Satan presented to Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple in Matthew 4, 5, and 7. Satan said, in effect, cast yourself down and see if God will take care of you. Satan wants us to show off our faith and force God to perform unnecessary miracles. He's not a genie, okay? Warren Wiersbe puts it well. He says, Jesus refused to tempt God, and and we should follow this example. Yes, God cares for his children when in his will they are in dangerous places, but he is not obliged to care for us when we foolishly get out of his will. We are called to live by faith, not by chance, and to trust God and not tempt him. So some of you, especially if you're here here from the South, you may have known people who uh, were in churches that handle poisonous snakes, even to this day. And I can tell you, it's it's a record of fact that many of them have died from being poisoned, from being bitten by those snakes. And then finally, he says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Again, a lot of things we do here in the morning, I'm not trying to say we have some some thing, you know, that's out of the ordinary in Christian Christianity. But we will lay hands on people in our morning prayer time. And we have seen people recover their health. Many times over we've seen it happen. And so there's no question. There's no question that we see these things. These signs do follow faith. Real quickly now, uh, for, you know, again, Mark, uh, very brief, he talks about the ascension. He says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, Well, actually, it was 40 days after the Lord had spoken to them and he gave his disciples all the instructions they needed to do for their work. Then he was ascended into heaven. He was received into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. All through the New Testament, we see that Jesus has taken his rightful place in heaven. One of the first Christian martyrs, Stephen, saw it. when he actually saw it before he was stoned, he looked up and he had a vision. He actually saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And so we have amazing things happening. The Lord was working with them, and like I said, he works with us, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And again, the purpose of these signs and miracles is to confirm and provide a testimony that God is real and his word is true. We've completed our study of the gospel according to Mark. Exactly 12 months from when we started, believe it or not. We've read of his ministry in Galilee and Judea, his ability to draw great crowds who would hear his teaching and receive healing and witness great miracles. We've seen him pour his life into his disciples, demonstrating love and patience. We've come to understand that all along he was on a mission, a mission to ransom his sinless life for the benefit of countless people from all generations and all walks of life, all throughout the world. Right to the very end he would be found faithful when all but a handful of followers would stay near him as he would be falsely accused of blasphemy for claiming to be God. He would be found guilty and sentenced to be tortured, mocked, and crucified. Yet his greatest suffering would be the very real experience of separation from God the Father as he paid the penalty of our sins on the cross at Calvary. Despite this gross injustice, we learned that justice and peace with God was actually all part of his sovereign plan to draw us and to receive us into a right relationship with God for all eternity. And just as he commissioned the early disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the task and the calling remains to this day until he calls us to go home with him. You will notice that either uh, in your bulletin when you walked in or a seat near you, you were provided with a Bible tract. I'd like to make a Bible tract available to each and every one of you. And I'd like to challenge you, and I'd like to encourage each of you. Take that Bible tract with you today. Put it in your pocket. Pray about it. Ask the Lord in the coming days or weeks, or even today, what would I do? Who should I give this Bible track? Put somebody in my path that I should give it to that hasn't heard the gospel. Not just casually, you know, slip it into a mailbox. Maybe that's what the Lord is telling you to do. I can't say. But, you know, folks, we've, we've sat through a year of teaching. We've got to know Jesus, his whole life story through one of the gospels. Don't you want to go tell people about it? Don't you want to go tell how wonderful he is? Don't you want to go share the good news? We live in a society that's going to continually push against that. But you need to be bold and you need to be brave. And that can only come from God himself. So I just encourage you all to do that. Amen? Amen. All right, Let's stand. We're going to have a worship time. Lord, we thank you for our time today. And we ask, Lord, that you would go before us. Uh, thank you for your wonderful word of truth and wisdom. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for being with us and being so faithful, Lord. And Lord, as we depart this place today, we just simply ask that you go before us, Lord. We, we are in our own strength. We, we, you know We ourselves have nothing to offer but what you have given us. And that is eternal life in Jesus Christ for all of us who know you. And so, Lord, help us to be willing to share that good news willing to want to go out and not to be coward or in fear but not to do it in a sense of spiritual pride either Lord. to be humble to be humble and just to wait on you as necessary lord your word says that man makes his plans but god guides his steps and so, Lord, let us be adventurous for you. Let us, let us wonder that, you know what, I didn't expect to do this or say this. I didn't expect that person to cross my path that maybe I could present the gospel to or give them a Bible tract. But somehow you did, Lord, and it was your doing. And so, Lord, we just ask that you simply go before us and guide us. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' precious name. I don't know if we're going to have a song, but let's, I'll tell you what we will do. We will close in prayer, Psalm 90, verse 12 through 17. Psalm 90. Well, let's all read it together. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Go in God's grace and have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.